Welcome back to the Freedom Pact Podcast. This is the show that will give you the mindsets, strategies, tools, and tactics to help you achieve the next level of success. We are back this Monday morning with another episode. Our listens have gone through the roof these last few months and we are so grateful for all of you, the thousands of you that tune in week in, week out. We never, ever could have imagined the show growing this much. So, you know, we can't thank you guys enough. Today on the show, we are joined by Lara Rebecca. Lara is a health and fitness enthusiast from my native Cardiff in Wales, who is using social media as a platform to help change the lives of millions of people with an eating disorder. Let me give you guys some context into this episode. We have linked Lara's story below. You can swipe up to watch it. This is a video that Lara posted, which is entitled Anorexic to Athlete. This video has now been viewed around 8 million times. This video summarizes Lara's journey with an eating disorder, how it transpired into anorexia, how it almost claimed her life when Lara had a BMI of 13. To put this into context for you, Lara was around 16 years old and was weighing in around 5 stone. So this conversation delves into the scary reality of living with an eating disorder. We cover topics like the forums, the underground forums, if you will, that people with eating disorders, they give tips to other people with eating disorders, tips to lose even more weight. We delve into the mindset in which someone with an eating disorder would have how Lara would trick her parents into believing that she was eating. What does it feel like to be five stone? Here's a clue. Lara's fingers turned blue. But remarkably, the reason why we wanted to connect with Lara is that what followed on from this battle is truly inspiring. Since then, Lara's helped millions of people online with her story being featured in major news publications like BBC, like the ITV. Lara has done features for Pure Gym. She is an avid health and fitness enthusiast and is also doing tremendous work into mental health awareness. I would say that Lara is one of the few people that I've ever seen that I feel is using social media for the right reasons. It is my absolute pleasure to bring such an important conversation to you. I commend Lara so much for the vulnerability in which she shows. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed learning about it and connecting with Lara. Lara Rebecca, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome to the podcast. 
I was like, I didn't know, that, I didn't know he was doing an intro or anything. So I didn't know. I no, we, we pre-record all the intros. We pre-record all the intros. So I didn't know if I was going to say anything. Or say I'm going to keep this in, by the way. Oh, that's brilliant! Right, hi, hi. How are you? Hi, I am. <laughs> Professionalism at its finest, right there. <laughs> I've never had an intro like that before, but yeah. <laughs> So welcome to the show. So Lara, one of the things that impressed me about you from the start is that I have noticed that you use social media in such a positive way. It's very inspiring to see. So I feel as if you use it contradictory to the typical highlight reel format, which I absolutely hate. I feel as if you've used yours in a way to inspire, to document change, but also to be very vulnerable and open. So if we just zoom out of there, what do you make of the current state of social media and its impact in particular on modern health in today's age? Social media is just a very, very saturated you know, number of platforms where people portray this very unrealistic standard of living, of life, of, well, not just lifestyle, it's just about aesthetics, it's bodies, it's uh, how financially stable you are. And there's so many different aspects that people are portraying in such a way that isn't necessarily realistic for the average person. So in terms of health, I think mentally we're almost obliged to compare ourselves to all of these individuals because we see it so often, we see it so consistently. Every single day we have all these, you know, quote-unquote creators and influencers giving out this image, giving out this kind of unrealistic standard. And I think it's almost human nature for us to question ourselves and to think that are we less valuable? Are we still worthy of an individual if we don't have that flashy car, if we don't have that new watch, we don't have that new line from that new, you know, active wear brand because it's too blooming expensive for us to afford i think it's just it it almost for the consumer it's just so overwhelming because there's so much information and so much standards that are set that in genuine in reality it's just unable it's 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 difficult for anyone really to kind of reach that level just what you said believe there's just so much just i just it just seems like fakeness to me you know it's like the fact is that in humanity, the one thing which we all have in common is suffering. But you go on Instagram and it just completely leaves, for the most part anyway, that out. So are there any particular, is there any particular content or types of people that you specifically will stay away from? Do you have a filter for who you'll follow on there? I don't think anything in particular. I think... I've gradually kind of evolved in being a bit more confident in unfollowing people. I've, I'd always see it as a negative thing or something that people will consider offensive. But it, realistically, if they have hundreds and thousands of people, surely one <laughs> disfollower isn't going to change much. If at the end of the day, you're viewing their content and it's not necessarily providing you with some sort of positivity, with some sort of element where you're going to come from it and learn something and use that in a beneficial way for yourself i really don't see the value of following them as just one other person to add to your scroll to your you know to that time in your day and if it's just causing you to question yourself or is ultimately bringing you down then what really is the relevance of 
you know, continue following them. I see that so much. A lot of the people we speak to in the personal development space, they're so particular about who they'll be friends with, about who they'll spend their time with. But yeah, you know, on Instagram, they're following people that they see some posts and they feel terrible after it. I think that in society today, things like depression, anxiety, self-image, self-esteem, all these things are at such a critical point. They've never reached the levels that they are now. I'm almost certain, and there'd be studies to back this up, that social media has played a part in this. So how can we use social media as an ally rather than it use us? I think you've just got to be so... I guess I'm just trying to refer it in the way that I use it. It's just being so careful in understanding that it is a platform it is a place where people can criticize where people can comment where there are going to be people that you know share something that you may not see as necessarily nice so using social media and using it in a beneficial and positive way is just going to come from remaining authentic and being genuine and understanding that we're all humans that we're not all filter perfect or photoshopped to perfection understanding that you know it is okay to just be yourself and show sides of you which may not be as quote unquote attractive or you know you know it's it's just about being authentic and real and raw and not having to kind of say one thing on social media then be a completely other person then being something completely opposing to what you're portraying on social media in actual reality and just as an individual you've got to just literally use social media as I don't know, as a platform to portray yourself and to, you know, show your creativity rather than just make a whole new identity. Issues and the umbrage which I've taken with social media, you were on the complete opposite side and you were everything which I see good in social media. This is probably why I'm having such a hard time in balancing the two of them. Mm. But I'd love to pick you up on what you just said, Blair. You talked about authenticity. How powerful for you has being vulnerable, has being open, has talking about your story, which I can only imagine has kind of been an easy thing for you to do. So how powerful has that been for you personally and also in terms of growing your own brand? Well, originally it's absolutely terrifying. At the end of the day, you know, speaking about depression, anxiety, anorexia, bulimia, and all these very, very heavy illnesses and things that have generally affected my life to a very extreme level to almost death it is pretty difficult to then just go in front of a camera and a microphone and say hey this happened but then at the end as terrifying as it is the most empowering thing is being able to say hey but I survived hey but this is what I did that I'm actually living and breathing today and guess what I'm doing it with a smile on my face these are the ways and these are the mechanisms and this is what I did to get me from being five stone depressed borderline wanting to kill myself to being a person that I am today happy enough to get a prep to filter 49 pence coffee and that make that highlight of my day and that'd be something positive I see you know as I began having to open up on such a thing that I say so isolated within myself it's only been positive because it's from from that moment and from that low moment in my life has provided me with a platform, has provided me with the foundations of where I built my life on and where, and, you know, has allowed me to develop into the person I am today. So just sharing that on social media is just another additive. 
So do you think that you have like a a mission or a purpose through social media? It was never my intention, Mm -hmm. but the more my audience grew and the more people that I speak to and communicate with and, you know, try and support, I feel like I have an untold, not necessarily mission, but I feel like I've applied a role to myself just to be like a big sister and to be just to be there for somebody and you know if I put too much pressure on myself it's not gonna that's not ever gonna work out so it's if I have somebody reaching out and we're gonna talk and we're gonna kind of figure stuff out together and as much as I can you know without having any qualifications with you know the medical professional side of things you know I'll support that individual so my mission not necessarily is to say you know I want to stop all of this because in reality it's not realistic it's just kind of showing and evolving and you know developing and kind of demonstrating to individuals that are in a position where I found myself three uh, to five years ago um that you can get out of it and you can get out of it in a healthy way so it's just about continually sharing the image and the message and you know the positive sides yeah so you mentioned earlier that posting that first video it was terrifying so how did you motivate yourself to post that where did the courage to do it came from where did where did how does one go about doing that because i can imagine just how worrying that would be yeah so i was writing a blog uh for about a year beforehand and i'd been talking about um eating disorders and mental health for quite a while so that was like kind of a runner-up and uh almost prepare preparing myself and then it's more the more and more i blog the more i was like hey i want to do some video and you know massive fan of youtube either way um, so my first video was nothing in relation to eating disorder. It was just about going to London and meeting Rob Lipset and the whole fitness uh, creators. Um, but then gradually as my confidence grew and the more support that I had from my audience, that was very minimal at the time. I was just like, right, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And I posted a 17 minute and 45 second video of my transformation from quote unquote anorexia to athlete I'm not an athlete I'm just into fitness <laughs> it was just it was just the acronym um and yeah it took me a solid month to edit because I had to I say I had to I decided to go through all of my images and all the photos that I used to document so when I was during during my eating disorder I not only calculated my weight loss through the scale, which I use on a very, very you know repetitive occasion days, um, I documented it with images. So I basically collected all those images, you know, from when I was young, from when um, I first lived a healthy lifestyle to when, you know, things started developing to where I became more depressed, more depressed, and then to where the weight loss really, really became quite visible. Um, so it was really difficult to look back at those images because I see them from the mindset I have today which is far healthier um at that time I was so so ingrained with body dysmorphia that I only saw an obese individual and saw opportunity of weight loss so creating that video was not only like oh my goodness this is a very vulnerable side of me I'm literally putting images of me looking very very near to death but the best thing as I say coming back to the whole you know kind of seeing the positive sides of it halfway through the video it shows me at my worst but then after that it's like hey but we made changes but we actually started to enjoy food we actually started to live life oh there's a photo with a smile on my face oh 
There's another photo with a smile on my face. Oh, there's me actually being able to walk my dogs because I was no longer bed bound. Oh, I'm actually having a life. Guess what? I'm enjoying it. So that was the main motivator was that side of it and saying that, you know, you can just see the gradual development and I always cry a little bit when I watch it. <laughs> so it's just seeing that development and seeing that growth. It's just like, you know what? I think this is a cool thing. I think as vulnerable of a position I'm putting myself into, it's going to be pretty cool in the end. And 7.7 million views later, it seems like it was. <laughs> <laughs> what was the reaction like afterwards? Did people reach out to you sharing their stories? What was the, what was the reaction like from the public to that video? absolutely bonkers so it was definitely I was overwhelmed to say the least I got a thousand views within the first night and I think the most viewed video I had at that time were 200 and then I went from 100 subscribers to 55,000 and then an inbox that I could never keep up with of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages on all my platforms and as incredible as it was I did freak out I did freak out um then I had BBC reaching out, I had ITV reaching out, I had Heart Radio, I had uh, Capital Radio, I had all these stations and, you know, Cardiff TV and all these, like, I don't know what happened. I was just living in a blur and everything was so quick and analytics were just going through the roof and it, it was just madness, but it was so exciting and it was just the relief that, it was that video that caused that bump. So, you know, it could have been, I don't know, a try on haul of a fashion video that, you know, mm -hmm. but no, it was my video where I showed my story and I showed the real authentic me. Um, but no inbox was massive. I spent so long just replying to people, you know, and I wouldn't just say, hope you're okay. I would send minutes and minutes and minutes of long videos to these individuals who have decided to be vulnerable, open up to me and share their journey and express how they're feeling and also share their gratitudes towards me being able to speak up and then that was when I noticed ha right I've got this kind of responsibility now I love doing this and I also seem to have getting a positive kind of reaction from it and it just motivated me to continue um so it was mad it was bonkers it was absolutely crazy but it was ah oh, do I say this or is this really cheesy probably the best thing that happened to me because it's just it's just provided me with opportunities beyond belief and collaborating with people that I never think thought I'd meet you know having respect from people that I've always looked up to and meeting individuals and having experiences and collaborating with it, it it's I'm very relieved I released it <laughs> to say the least <laughs> I always feel and it's a quote which we've heard so much on the show, and that quote is that your purpose comes from your pain. So whatever that you have struggled with in your own life, usually that's a pretty good indicator of where you will get a large amount of fulfillment. So how much work are you currently doing in that whole uh, eating disorder type space? Do, are, do you still interact with the people from there, or are you transitioning to more into the, the fitness, the you know, the 10k calorie type? Or will you um, always be Lara Rebecca? I, I, I have actually done the 10k calorie Oh, have you done challenge. one? Have you done one? Wow. No, but it's an absolute spin-off of it. Okay. So I see the 10k calorie challenge as somebody glorifying bulimia. Mm -hmm. So what I did, 
I made a video saying, oh, I'm going to do this. And there's all these clips of me buying all this food. And then I kind of rewind and I'm just like, ha, I'm not doing this. And then I had a bit of a rant about the 10K calorie challenge. And then I ended up donating all the food to a local shelter. So... Oh, wow. Wow. That's a mic drop moment if ever I knew that. <laughs> um, no. So my content, I think, you know, even with the eating disorder and fitness and mental health, it all kind of comes into one because fitness has provided me with a sense of purpose, with a sense of... I know fulfillment and that has really helped me with you know when I still struggle with anxiety and depression and you know if I'm stressed I'll go to the gym I'll just get in my own head um get my head I'll put my headphones on and I'll just lose myself and have a good time and it's benefited me so much in the sense that I don't see my body as something that I have to punish it's something that I can celebrate it's something I can fuel and it's something that I can go and train and work on and strengthen and that's pretty cool and I think the relationship that I have with my body now is so positive in the sense that it's come from the gym and it's come from fitness and it's come from figuring out different ways that I can utilize weights and you know long distance running and things so I think my content is always going to be I'll always have a heavy focus on mental health always have a heavy focus on eating disorder awareness but I think the fitness is something that I'm really seeing as something I really want to take forward. Like I'm doing my PT qualifications now. It will never be in the sense that I'm just counting reps or going to be somebody that tells somebody to go on the scales and then our only goal is to lose weight. My brand and my business will continue to be about well-being, about understanding your body, about appreciating your body, body confidence and empowering yourself because that's what fitness has meant to me. So it was all, it'll always be about translating that into it. So it's kind of we, weaning everything together in a sense. Amazing. So we have so much to talk and discuss about today. So if we just stick on this topic of social media and the one thing which I personally really struggled with was when I first delved into it myself was I realized that it becomes so easy to spend so much time looking at these 2D images, becoming obsessed with metrics, obsessed with picture quality and all these different things and the hashtags and the tools, the tactics of growing a personal brand. So how have you managed the push and pull between building a personal brand, which you've done a phenomenal job of, and building this incredibly engaging community, but also stepping back and not becoming too investing and maintaining you know meaningful friendships in real life and and these important connections which we know is important to make how have you managed that push and pull between them uh my growth on social media has become very very lucky i will say um that one video just literally helped me with so much growth uh, but i think because it was of a particular topic my audience was very very connected and my uh, engagement is extremely high you know if somebody that has a multiple of 10 followers than I do we could still have an equal amount of comments of likes of messages because I've built such a tight-knit community um, and it's not something that I've done purposefully it's something that I've done organically and naturally and you know I think a lot of also other my followers have come from uh, you know I've been collaborating with Pure Gym so it's from that and I've never necessarily gone out my way saying oh I want to get some followers it I need to do this it's just I'm going to do what I want to do if I miss a video upload I miss a video upload 
if I don't post a photo every single day, I don't post a photo every single day. I've never done a schedule. It's always been on my terms. And I don't know. I think I've never looked at analytics. If I do look at analytics of videos, I will stress myself out because I know um, numbers and I, I don't want to become obsessed with it. I want to make videos that I want to make no matter the monetization, no matter the watch hours or the watch minutes or the percentage of da 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 I don't find that necessary. I find, you know, being able to engage my audience, being able to have the comments, but also just selfishly be able to edit a video, get it out, and that being just a passion of mine of just creating something that I enjoy and being able to put that out is just something I enjoy. So if I just, like, if I study the analytics and study the numbers study the digits too much it's going to be something that I'm not going to end up loving as much as I do currently so it's just about continuing in a way that I enjoy it and that being the only focus mm. I think that's so important about and it comes back to that question of how can we use social media rather than social media use us which is a question which we get asked a lot but I think it felt like you give a very good answer to that I think so, it's difficult because this 21st century is so ingrained. It's, it's so ingrained within us as individuals of the 21st century. And then you can see all these corporate businesses and organizations that all revolved around social media. So it is something that you can kind of, it's it's difficult to control because it's used to our, to our it's used to their benefits because they understand that it's such a massive platform. And, you know, you see online retail clothing and, you know, that aren't really necessarily in stores because they know that, you know encouragement of social media or marketing and it's it's just a whole gradual development and it's it's it is where the world is going it is how we're progressing so it is i think just very important to understand life and social media and really being able to balance it because you know it is becoming more of an effort to kind of differentiate the both this is um something which lewis and i we've talked about on the podcast we've asked a lot of guests about this the place which I always keep coming back to is at first I had I started off with just a personal account where I just had my friends and my uni friends and all these other things. But really no I just felt like this it was the same issue really, no matter where I went, where it was just just continuous highlight reels and and I just felt as if it's just not representative of real life. It's just a two D factor. I remember I actually found myself having so much respect for this one woman who I followed. And in her bio actually said, disclosure, this is a highlight reel. You mm. know, and maybe maybe Instagram should adopt something like that. But what, this is why I was so eager to get you on the show is because I feel as if you were one of the rare few people that I've ever met, which are, which is, in my opinion, using social media for good rather than bad. So I tip my cap to you. <laughs> thank you i think it is you know you can get very easily obsessed and it's you know you have so many individuals on there that as you say are portraying this highlight reel and this image of perfection so you've, you almost have to but then you also see these people saying oh i'm taking 48 hours off social media so what is causing you to have to put that mindset into thinking that you have to completely deduct out your life so you're obviously utilizing it too much to then have to consciously think that you have to eliminate it in a strict form. Um, so I think when people say that they use it so much, I don't know, I see it as a form of enjoyment. You know, I'm able to speak to people, I'm able to communicate, I'm able to make some content every now and then. 
but then that's that's that but then I also you know live life and I do things and oh what's that awful hashtag uh, awful kind of thing if you didn't gram it did it not happen yes it flipping happened Mm -hmm. yes you're living in the real world and you know life isn't short so life isn't short life is life is short (laughs) so I, I think it's just such a saturated place and you know I think one thing that's really sad is especially when I'm on public transport every single one of their heads are down like these people's spines are going to be suffering by the time that they're 50 you just see it consistently that it's always the screen to face and you know, I wish there was something that could kind of stop it or control it, but it just seems that everyone's like used to it and it's just how everything is going and it's, you know, people are using that to our advantage and I don't know, it seems upsetting that you feel like you have to live your life through a screen, unfortunately. Well, some people have that perception either way. Yeah, I mean, we had a former guest on who asked people that followed him to post their screen times and... I'm the first to say that mine isn't great, but I mean, I saw some of these ones and they were coming in 10, 11 hours a day. If you sleep, say, seven to eight hours, there's only 16 hours left in the day. I think it would be pretty difficult to like actually have 11 hours of your phone in your face. I think because I make content, I can't consume it as much. Like I use Instagram to post it and I'm not, I don't scroll. I'm not too much into it. I think if I'm on my phone, it's because I'm having a conversation with people, but it's pretty difficult when you haven't been trying to have a conversation with a hundred people at one time. Uh, but I think it's awesome that you can communicate with somebody from Australia. Yeah. Like there's one girl that's in new England, um, that we collaborated on, on a video with. So I did a video called you are not alone and put a thing on my Instagram story saying, Hey, anyone suffer anxiety, would you like to collaborate in a video with me? And I made this like six minute video of everyone saying that they're not alone sharing their experience with this anxiety. And this one girl, she's from America. I've now become really close to friends with her. She's coming to London at the beginning of next year. And we're going to meet. And the only reason why I know her is through the power of social media. So there are so many advantages. And it, it is, you know, if you use it right, it's it's pretty cool. But then you can see that people are borderline obsessed. That's the key thing, how you use it. It's not about whether it's good or bad. It's, it comes down to the individual. The one thing which I remember like which i personally went through is seeing all these different this bombardment of someone's in the maldives today and they're skydiving yeah. on tuesday and <laughs> they're dining in noma on wednesday and i remember like i just see him and i was like jesus what must my life be like like if if this is what it's like and and i think that it does lead to that sort of like a happiness comparison thing which i think is yeah. built into it which is why I went through such a strict regulating phase and now I'm currently in a phase where I'm toying between coming back. But then also on, on the plus side, I see people like you doing amazing things and I want to use her as a platform to impact. So I'm sort of stuck in the middle, but I will come back at one stage. If you're consciously trying to make the decision whether to come back or not, the decision of coming back doesn't mean it has to completely consume your life. It's just something that you can use to push your business, something that you can use to, you know, view content that you've wanted to appreciate and support and just utilizing it in that form and not necessarily obsessing over it. Um, what I have on my Instagram is a timer. So if you've been on your phone, if you've been on Instagram for over a certain amount of time, it'll come with a notification. So 
if that needs to keep you accountable and things it's, it's just kind of incorporating it in a way that it isn't going to necessarily consume your life yeah so so important let's zoom out a little by here and let's delve into your story so as you mentioned earlier, your video on youtube is titled anorexic to athlete when i watched that video when you first sent it to me the piano music, the pictures, <laughs> it's just a completely... The piano un- music was, was particularly <laughs> depressing one night. I, did, I, didn't, I think I did, didn't do that intentionally at first, but then I rewatched it and like, oh, I could have picked something a little bit more cheery. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I just think that video is completely unputdownable. Anybody who's listening to this, they can just swipe up and the video will all be linked. This is all absolutely fascinating to me. So let's look at the battles which you faced. At what point in your life did this start? My eating disorders were repercussions from depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, low mood. Um, So that all began uh, towards the end of primary school, the beginning of high school. So, gosh, 11-ish, 11, 12-ish. And then as time progresses, you know, it becomes the restrictive eating and, you know, you develop these unhealthy habits and the secrets and... Uh, bulimia and bulimic tendencies and uh, orthorexia and you just get all these little symptoms and then towards the end you kind of then progress well I progressed then to anorexia Um, I kept everything a secret so uh, it wasn't until so with bulimia I think the one massive misconception and the massive saturated stigma of eating disorders that you have to be severely skinny or severely underweight to be able to have a diagnosis. It could be any weight and suffering eating disorder. Um, so with bulimia, mine never really dropped because there was the restricting, but then there was the uh, binging. So in a sense, my daily caloric intake would kind of level out, but it would just happened to be I took all those calories within one kind of sitting. Um, and it wasn't until like the weight kind of went down that people started noticing that teachers started noticing and then one day my school counselor um that was seeing due to anxiety uh, ended up reaching out to my parents to say hey yeah your daughter's got an eating disorder <laughs> um so that was when i was 14 for you personally so regardless of what's going on in the outside world at like what point did you specifically think like okay this may be an issue or did you ever did you not think like that no no once you're in it you're in it and you're completely ingrained within it and it's something that overrides your life you don't necessarily see it as oh i have this you think this is the only thing that i'm going to satisfy this is the only thing that's going to take any ounce of my energy um so i guess the only time that i acknowledged that i needed help was uh when i was discharged from hospital (laughs) i was like oh yeah i probably probably should have done that and you know when everything was beginning to uh, increase and people began noticing that only encouraged the kind of eating disorder because you know it was the stubborn nature and it was the motivation to no, I want to continue losing weight because it's the only thing that actually makes me happy this is the only thing that makes me feel safe so there was never like a thing that I have anorexia it was just I am Lara and the only thing that is going to motivate me to live any ounce of life of this is if I'm losing a significant amount of weight and every time I go on the scale that the numbers drop severely each week and that's the only thing that kind of motivates me because once you're once you're in it once that your mentality is kind of evolved around you know the weight loss the purging the restriction the hiding the secrets you're so 
consumed within it it's really difficult to kind of get out because that's that's your life it, it isn't a separate thing it is your life when you're in this world where you are going through this what is the thought process like like what's the mentality as you just talked about but what what are your thoughts like what were the things which drive you i think at the beginning it was just because i felt so depressed it was just another element of you know i just not necessarily wanting to feed yourself and then you kind of see the slow repercussions from that and then almost starvation is a form of self-harm you know feeling hungry feeling empty um and then once i began losing weight i just immediately became obsessed and then gradually it was just that was my only motivation and that was the only thing that i felt like i'd be accepted by is if i had lost a significant amount of weight if i had lost you know my goal weight of that week um and you just you just feel numb it becomes a routine a habit and it's all you live for um, i can't really express the emotions that i felt because it as i said it was just numbness it was just i just felt empty well, my stomach was also empty, but I felt psychologically <laughs> empty too. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I always have to laugh about it. I think, you know, it's just, you know, it is an awful situation to be in. And kind of looking back, it is difficult to actually appreciate the mentality I had because the individual there, in comparison to the individual that I am today, is not even comparable. It's just different. We're just different. I'm, I'm not that person anymore, which is, you know, something I'm really proud to say because I know it's a true and I know it's a fact. Um, but it also is also really kind of it hurts to know that I put myself through that and I had to go through that even at such a young age. What was your relationship like with food at this point? Food was just something that would prevent me to get to my goals, and you know I still really loved food. I was always craving it. I wanted it, and when I did, I would do that, and then I'd waterload, and then I'd end up purging. Um, so as starving as I was and as much as I knew that I needed the food I knew it would just be something that would prevent me from losing weight and prevent me from reaching the targets and goals that I had set for myself so for everyone listening now I take it that purging is vomiting to self-induced vomiting self-induced yeah. vomiting so kind of like when I was in university and I was getting quite drunk and I would vomit to be able to drink more <laughs> oh wow yeah, the, <laughs> nice. the, the student life yeah, so purging was just, I used that to uh, scale the food out. I'd, I'd either purge or I'd um, exercise. I also suffered exercise addiction. So at the middle of the night, I'd set up this routine where I'd just run around. I'd do as many star jumps as I can, many crunches. And it was just about getting the negative calories because I just wanted to be in a deficit consistently. So this is fascinating to me. So you just said there was all about reaching your goals. So... What were your goals at this point? Weight loss and just control the number. I just want it. Eating disorder, my eating disorder was just all revolved around control and all around, you know, feeling that that was the only thing that would allow me to feel safe or that was like my comfort in a sense. So it was going on the scale was just like if the number had been deducted, that'd be brilliant. But then in a sense, I say that even if I had a weight loss goal and I'd reached that goal, I still wouldn't be satisfied. Because again, it was just you're in that mentality and nothing is ever enough. And you just go to the point where you do fall, you know, to the weight that I was. And 
get told by doctors that you shouldn't be breathing. <laughs> so an ideal, to say the least. I had a friend who went through something quite similar to this and she showed me a picture of what she looked like and she was extremely, extremely thin. And I said to her, what was your self-image of yourself at that time? And she said, I felt like I was obese. Yeah, that's is, body dysmorphia for you. <laughs> is that what it's um, like? Yeah, you don't see... That's why I'm saying how the video was so difficult for me to edit because I saw those images from the mindset I have today and, compar- and only compared them to the mindset that I had those three years ago. Um, so I only saw an overweight individual that had so much opportunity to lose weight and had so much more kind of... Um, I, I could just lose more weight. And I see it now. I'm just like, oh, my goodness, where the hell would that weight come from? Um, so, yeah, body dysmorphia, you kind of just see something different. And um, it is difficult because you're in that mindset. And as often as you feel like you're satisfying it, you, as I said, it's, you just continue. And there's always that mentality of nothing ever being enough and always wanting to go on. Because once you're on it, you're on it. And it's really difficult to get off. At this time, were you consuming pro anorexia content were you like forming with people like that were you in that sort of clique with them yeah pro ana pro mia uh so pro mia is pro bulimia pro ana is pro anorexia where websites where people basically encourage you to have an eating disorder and offer you tips and advice um in ways that you could lose weight more sufficiently and ways that you could i don't know i, I can't remember a lot of them now which i'm really grateful for but I would I would never speak to people individually, but I'd just find different websites where they'd list all the ways that they did to be able to lose weight quicker and, you know, ways to purge easier, ways to bring up food easier, um, how to do exercise without your parents noticing or, you know, how to... It, it was just advice on how to live life in a way that satisfied the eating disorder, but being as discreet as possible, but being that... You know, ensuring that that the result is as effective as possible. Mm, So So it's just really messed up, (laughs) to say the least. Yeah, those forums. I can only imagine the this type of stuff which gets in them. So during that time, were you specifically going out looking for different tactics, different sort of people within the same mindset? Were you actively seeking them out? No, I think it was just when I'd have time to myself. Um, I'd just. I think I'd ask, I'd type something into Google or how can I do this? Or I think one of my, um, one thing I really struggled with was being so cold. Uh, so I typed in, you know, anorexia, being cold and, and people would not, without saying gaining weight and becoming a healthy weight and having your BMI be a healthy one, it was just ways to hide the coldness and ways for you to, you know, not suffer those, uh, you know, opposing effects and still be able to continue with the anorexia. And then one link then results to another. Then, oh, there's another website that encourages that. Oh, this is brilliant. All this information I can utilize to help this uh, anorexia. And you just get so consumed within it. I never actually spoke one-on-one to anyone. It was just the websites and uh, reading what people had written and ways that they did, you know, ways that they've used to kind of, you know, encourage their eating disorder and encourage, you know, the weight loss and, just different tips and advice which sounds really horrific saying now but once you're in it it was just that was my support and that was the only people that kind of understood what I wanted in life because nobody else did because obviously they were just looking at my thinking 
goodness gracious, please eat. <laughs> yeah. And and the other thing about that is it becomes sort of like a confirmation effect because as soon as your beliefs are sort of confirmed by other people, then it just sort of magnifies them. Yeah, so, and it's always the sense of I want to be better than that person. Hmm. That oh my gosh, that person has lost three pounds this week. I only lost two and a half. I should do better. So it's always that kind of I want to be the best, meaning I want to lose the most weight. One example was when I was in hospital, um, I had my blood pressure taken. They couldn't use the adults, they couldn't use the teenagers, they couldn't use the childs. They had to use the toddler's blood pressure that goes on your upper arm because the circumference of my arm was so, so minuscule. And I didn't see that as, oh, no, that's probably not great. I saw that as, yes, I've achieved something. I'm the best. Mm. I've, I've done anorexia well. So you can see how messed up my head got. And it's just unbelievable to think that I saw. Meanwhile, now I'm doing curls to try and grow the circumference of my biceps. So it's definitely been a flip, to say the least. Yeah, it's the gun show now. <laughs> That's really intrigued me. So when you're talking about comparing yourself to other people and wanting to be better and wanting to lose more weight, was that just specifically in your community or was it further outside of that was it just people you saw every day maybe a family the general and anything public? family was never really an issue um but it was just if i'd walk around and i see somebody that looked particularly underweight or particularly skinny i'd feel jealous mm. and i'd feel less valuable because my quote-unquote thigh gap wasn't as significant as hers and it's just why why was the thigh gap kind of you just have these different mentalities and you have, you know, oh, that person's better than me because of this can't the other or that person's eaten less than me, you're better. And, you know, that's why I started baking loads when I was younger. It's just because I wanted to feed other people calories. So then in a the sense, I'd be in negative calories because they've eaten more than me. So guess what? I'm better than you because my daily caloric intake has come to 100 and yours has come to 2,500. And it was just... I wanted to eat the least. I wanted to lose the most weight. And I don't know, you just get so isolated and so in your head that you just have every other kind of element of life overriding and overconsuming because you're just consistently comparing, comp consistently thinking, what can you do better to achieve, you know, or to satisfy this anorexic mindset that you have. The thigh gap one is such a... An interesting you still hear it now yeah you still hear it even if it's not just in anorexic it's just individuals and that's just general body image isn't it and just yeah. that apparently if you have a thigh gap that glorifies you or that de defines you as a valuable individual mm. so it's, no 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 it doesn't <laughs> yeah i remember when i was in sixth form so i was probably like 17 or 18 at this point and i was in uh I just had like a free period and I was speaking to a girl there who was talking to me about this thigh gap and I knew at the time he was quite big on things like Tumblr and all these things. I'd heard the term but I'd never really gone into it much and I remember her telling me like how self-conscious she thought and I said to her, why is this such a big deal? I'm like, can you please explain to me? And she's like, oh, well, because people with thigh gaps, they're more attractive. And I said, yeah, more attractive to who? And she said to me, she said, well, guys. And I'm like, well, as a guy, I can say to you that never in my life 
as a guy ever said to me. Yeah, they were the ruler. Which one do I want? (laughs) Never in my life have I ever (laughs) heard that. I said, the only people that you'll be more attractive to are the people on Tumblr that are sort of worshipping this ideology. I said, but you'll probably find that they are also girls. Mm. (laughs) So that was like a fascinating thing to me. But the thing is, saying you know, even saying that, and I know I'm saying it in a way that I'm just like, oh, it doesn't matter. I still struggle with my body image. I still struggle with body confidence. And legs are a really difficult one for me. Mm. Um, not necessarily like thigh gap, but I think, you know, obviously seeing my body grow and, you know, going back to the fitness thing, as much as it's empowered me, it has made me, quote unquote, bigger. I have gained muscle mass. So like quads they're pretty significant <laughs> and I occasionally feel really you know oh they're really big my legs are big and then I go back to that old mentality of oh gosh thigh gap oh gosh uh, my legs aren't twigs da, 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 da. so you kind of go back to that um so you kind of have to really put a lot of effort into thinking that I'm healthy I'm healthy this is good but no I think thigh gap and you know different uh, like I think you know, waist circumference and all these kind of things. It is quite a repetitive thing you see on social media and see with just, you know, young, vulnerable girls kind of con- concerning themselves about and, you know, utilizing their energy of worrying about this particular measurement, which really is completely irrelevant. And I say that, and yeah, I struggle with it on occasions. So it's just different days and different uh, kind of perspectives. Um, but no, it's just understanding that the way that your body looks, the measurement of your body, the width of a particular uh, ligament isn't necessarily going to change you know the way that you're perceived just mentioned there that you were sort of rewiring your brain by telling yourself different thoughts is that something which you do a lot do you override those maybe negative thoughts with more affirming self-talk um it's difficult because i still have an eating disorder i will feel like i always will have an eating disorder and have to utilize a lot of my energy into preventing it from becoming unhealthy because uh you know if i've had it for such a long period of time it's pretty difficult to kind of go completely cold turkey think you know have continually responsible and healthy relationship with food with your body with everything when it's been something that you're so used to um so i do have to kind of occasionally put a lot of focus and energy into you know body confidence body like I said confidence and positivity in the same sentence. Well, wow. body confidence and you know seeing my body as something strong, as something powerful, and not as something that I can punish. And you know it is it's tricky on occasions. But going back to the social media, that's the thing that's probably made me feel a lot better about myself because I'm understanding that people are valuing me as me and not as a measurement and not as a BMI and not as a digit because that was my whole value during my recovery. I was, you know, measured, I was prodded, I had my blood taken and it was all about numbers and digits and calculations. And now I'm out of it. I can, I can kind of see that people are appreciating and respecting me as an individual. And that's just me. That's my personality. That's my persona. That's nothing else. That's not how many abs I have you know it's just the more you progress and the more you live life the more you realize oh that is horrendously unnecessary um but no occasionally I do have to go back into those mindsets and do have to kind of give myself a bit of pep talk <laughs> but 
you know, I'm happy to say that it's not as frequent as it used to be. And, you know, hopefully as time progresses, it's something that I can work on. It's something that we'll be able to reduce into hopefully nothing at some point. But, you know, we'll see. We always get asked a lot of questions. We've been flooded with emails about negative thoughts, about cognitive behavioral therapy, all these different tools which you can use. Yeah, I've recently started CBT. <laughs> actually. So, so helpful. And I've only got I, three sessions in those. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure when I've thought about it that someone will ever be completely able to override negative thoughts, but there is a, there is a process which... Actually got it's human from... nature, so exactly, you know, yeah. So you can't, you know, if something's bad's happened, it's just healthy and natural to have a response, mm-hmm. whether it's good or bad. It's you can't completely go, completely prevent human, you know, emotion. It's just what happens. We're individuals. We're built. We're Homo sapiens. It's kind of just a part of us. What you've done there is sort of almost identical to what Tony Robbins talks about, and he talks about this process of rewiring your brain and he always says that the first step is to change your physical state so when you're feeling depressed your head is typically down there's not real much movement you feel lethargic so he says if you can change your physical state if you can exercise and then once you get into a state of a chemical rush of endorphins then when you're there (laughs) and then once you when you're there change the story which you're telling yourself which is exactly what you did when you're telling yourself strong healthy all those different things you just shift in the narrative away which i think is such a useful tip for anyone listening to this yeah i think fitness and you know living an active lifestyle has just provided me with so many tools and things that i can take forward with me not only has it been a form of education and you know a form of me kind of appreciating you know my body for what it is it's literally given me friends I have so many friends in the gym and I've made so many positive relationships you know I've now been working with as I said pure gym and that's come from being able to speak about mental health but also have the association of fitness and it's just it's just pretty cool it's just you feel good about it and you know in reality have you ever regretted a workout have you ever regretted going to the gym no like it's always a positive thing and I think one thing that my audience originally were kind of questioning was seeing how I am very active is that in association to an eating disorder and I had this comment on my uh, video saying she's gone from one obsessive lifestyle to another and I then made a follow-up video called Anorexia to athletes FAQs <laughs> replying to comments and replying to questions that were frequently a thing because I think that now there's like 19,000 comments so I just made a made a video just like replying to kind of the majority rather than individually typing away um and one of the things I did have to kind of cover was understand was kind of allowing people to understand that hey I do this because I like it I'm not doing it because I want to lose weight the only thing it's made me do is gain weight <laughs> so it's just seeing you know acknowledging that it is a healthy thing and yes it's pretty difficult when I've come from a side of an eating disorder and it can be seen in different people's perspectives as something kind of unhealthy but I think I've come out of it so such in a, such a strong-minded way that I know myself really well I'll never allow myself to go to the gym if I have bad body image because I know I'm not going to the gym for a positive reason I'm only going there because I want to have a good time I want to listen to music I want to you know challenge my body I want to see if I can reach my PB on something and it's just 
it's such a healthy kind of way and fitness and moving and living an active lifestyle and taking the dogs out and walking and running and being able to run half marathons for eating disorder charities. It is just such a positive thing that just, it's good. It's really good. And that's the one thing that if I had any advice for anyone, if you're suffering with any mental illness, it's just do that. Go to the gym, you know, see what you're capable of. Obviously, it's not something that I would kind of encourage anorexics to do. But, um, you know, it's just a tool that's so, so valuable and so beneficial that it can, see, can be seen as something so simple, but it's so, so powerful. Are there any other coping mechanisms which you've developed, which you found to be particularly helpful? Um, so I play a lot. I've always played piano, flute. Um, but when I was in the... when I in, during high school I was always doing it for exams and grades and I always thought it was very stressful so when I did go um when I did become a patient instead of using you know music as a stressful kind of situation where I was worrying about exams worrying about having to get these assessors I just did it for fun I bought a pink ukulele and I love it I you know play pieces that are probably far far too simple for me but I find them really beautiful and it brings me a lot of happiness um I sing occasionally as it and it's just that's just me in my little zone granted I'm probably not the best singer but I enjoy it so you know that'll be me um and it's just kind of mechanisms that take you away that allow you to express something and I think photography was another thing for me because I could capture, I could capture beauty. I could, you know, photograph something, and um, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be portraits. It would be nature. It would be experiences. It would be opportunities and memories, and just seeing that something beautiful. So it was just acknowledging life and its beauty, and that be through music, through sounds, through visuals, and just kind of expressing it in that way. And that's always something that I really enjoyed. And yeah, just just doing simple things and you know smiling about a new melody that you learned so it's just beyond um something simple it's just you know pretty things <laughs> it's simply it's just pretty things i guess let's circle back to where we are in your story so i think at one point really i think i'm right in saying you may want to fact check this that you reached about five stone was it Yes. About five stone. So at this point, what is the, what's the reaction from the outside world like? Like, what what is your little circle looking like? Like, what what do you feel is in the the social reactions? It's complex. Friends that I had in high school and uh, primary school. It's just very complicated because a lot of different other situations and. Um, you know, we appreciate each other, but I think we've definitely gone a different pathway. I still keep in contact with a few of them, but it's a very few people. And if I do end up bumping into somebody that I haven't seen in a few years, it's always positive. And it's always like, you're doing good. And it's just like, cheers. Um, so from the reaction that I know from the individuals that saw my journey from the beginning and saw me get to that really withering kind of weight, it's always been positive. And, you know, I'm going back to my old high school now and... Um, teachers want me to do presentations because they're seeing the stuff that I'm doing on social media and they're seeing that I'm also utilizing my Welsh language. They want me to utilize that. And, um, 
because I think the one thing that was difficult with friendships was the fact that I actually wasn't in high school for a number of years because of the illness. Um, and then I ended up moving school to an exam. It, it was just all a bit all over the shop. And I think generally I isolated myself. But saying that, I only think it's within the past year that I've actually began reaching out, opening up, you know, living life and being social again because social anxiety is always something I really struggled with. And, you know, I'd been, my norm was being kept under wraps and being in bed, being, mm, I'd say force fed, but it wasn't, <laughs> you know, having to gain weight and nurses and doctors and appointments and did, 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 and that was my life. So seeing friends and having experiences was something that I never really knew. So, you know, relationships, friendships, romance, you know, even romance, like that was never something that I knew. So I think only now I'm beginning to form the relationships. Um, but it's always good because I think everyone that I have met and the people that I'm close to now are, you know, really supportive of what I do. And always want to be a partner video. So it's always good. <laughs> when I was just listening to that, it sort of took me back to the work which Brene Brown has done. She's a researcher into guilt, shame, courage, vulnerability, all these different things. And one of the things which Brene talks about is guilt and shame, whereas guilt is I did a bad thing, then shame is I am a bad person. So there's a slight difference in language there. One of the things which Brene talks about is that shame always gets exacerbated when it's kept in silence. So when we're not talking about our story, when we're not pouring out whether we feel whether we're struggling with something to the world then it, it always magnifies it always manifests and becomes so much worse do you feel as if not specifically talking about it back then did that also magnify the situation i think so because i kept it to myself so therefore i didn't have anyone saying ah this isn't good or anyone saying that that's not healthy let's talk about it it was just me and myself and I was my only encouragement. And I was, you know, you say, you know, you've got the devil on one side and you've got the angel on the other side. I was literally just all eating disorder, all about 100%. And because I didn't have any other perspectives or opinions to be able to correlate into my situation, to be able to communicate with, I just did what I did. And that's what I knew. So I think isolating myself was just something I did to kind of encourage my eating disorder. I worried that um, I knew what I was doing you know, I knew consciously that I was doing something to lose weight. And I knew in my, you know, deep, deep down that it probably wasn't good for me. So reaching out and opening out, in my opinion, would have been something that would have taken that opportunity away from me. And it would have prevented me from losing weight, from being able to, you know, skip my meals, from being, you know, if somebody saw me throw my lunch box down the toilet, you know, it was always just, I am my own person. And I don't want anyone else affecting what I'm doing because, this is my challenge is to go forth with anorexia and anyone else kind of involving in the situation would prevent me from doing so. Mm. So how close to the precipice to the end do you think that you came? I didn't want to. It was just because I had literally no other choice. Mm. Um, you know, I still absolutely hated it. And when I had my meal pans through and I went from eating like half an apple to a cup, couple lettuce leaves to just an what I thought then was an overwhelming portion of food you know breakfast snack lunch dessert snack meal dessert snack before bed snack 
and this is from an individual that was sleeping as much as possible to eat as minimal amount possible and even that minimal amount of food would end up being purging more than likely so just that volume of food um you know at that point i i still didn't want to do it because it, i just felt discomfort for the whole thing my stomach had obviously shrunk so much that now putting all this food into it i just felt continually uncomfortable and i just i wanted to purge i still did and i was still very much within the disordered mindset and it took months and months and months for me to think that this is a good thing because I just felt like people were punishing me. I love the diet which you were given, and I'm sure I read this like Jaffa cakes on there. <laughs> like oh yeah, and I don't even like chocolate orange. Like I didn't have that. There was another thing that um, they said something about chocolate hazelnut uh, spread. So obviously Nutella, and I was terrified because Nutella was one of my binge foods. Mm. Um, and you think, oh, that's unhealthy. No, 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 literally any calorie would have been heavily accepted into my body because it was needing it. Uh, so it was just kind of incorporating an overall kind of balanced, uh, just general diet. Um, but no, it's funny now looking back at that, if I ate that, I would be starving now because my metabolism is so ridiculous that I'd probably eat three times as much as that is required now. <laughs> so how were you feeling physically at that time? Were you, as you just said, you were sleeping a lot, like did, what what were you like in terms of like energy and outlook? Oh, no energy, completely freezing. My fingers turned blue. My skin had no life to it. Uh, I was white. I was oh yeah, also anemic. Um, I so it's funny. Even though I had no energy and I really struggled, even if a parent would leave or nobody was like patrolling me for a second, I'd run around. And if I had any energy too damn right it would be burned because I needed to burn the food and that was you know still my continual struggle so as much as I struggled with energy as much as I you know was exhausted 24 7 still there'd be a motive within me to kind of encourage me to want to exercise excessively um so I was just tired I was depressed I was scared not for myself but scared for people finding out that I was doing something wrong and getting told off and getting prevented from doing so. Um, and I don't know, I just wanted to be in my own space and live my life, which I know if I, <laughs> I know if I continued living that I wouldn't be here today, but it was just continual exhaustion, but just aspiration and motivation to want to satisfy anorexia, which I don't know gets a bit draining towards the end <laughs> yeah. so do you think that you actually would have died if you had kept on like that yeah so my i went i was on a uh, holiday with my family and i was actually flown home within arriving in two days because they were just so so like i'm only been told now that they were just trying to figure out how they'd get the french hospital involved and all that and so the easiest way was just to get me back home immediately uh i went back to um the hospital um, because originally they didn't want to take me in because my BMI wasn't low enough. So that's another thing that you only get treated for eating disorders if your BMI is under 13 and considered under 18.5 is considered underweight. So CAMS, please work on that. Um, but either way, I went back and I had all my weight and measurements sorted. And what they have is a graph and it's a graph specified for individual individuals with anorexia. So the weight to height is obviously a lot lower. So yeah, the weight to height is obviously a lot lower. I didn't even fit on that graph. 
So they had to make a whole new graph because I defied what they, you know, would see as being survivable. Um, and again, I saw that as a win. I was just like, ha ha, I'm better. I'm doing well at this. Um, and then I was told that they were surprised that I hadn't, my heart hadn't stopped. Um, and again, it was, I didn't think, oh shit. I thought, yeah, that's cool. Like, I got so I lost so much weight that that could have happened. That's an achievement. Well done, Lara. So what what was the turning point in all this? Was it that trip to hospital? No, because I felt that that was just the most depressing day of my life. In the sense that I knew that all control was taken away from me, and that control was so valuable to me. Um, it was only a few months down the line that I felt like I had a turning point. Um, and you know even that was it, it doesn't happen like that it's just so gradual and it's such a tedious process you get there in the end but I think it's just finding the reasonings and being able to acknowledge the reasons why you got there and you know being true to yourself um, is something that you really need to focus on so yeah, it's, it was a long process, but the original being being put into hospital wasn't something that motivated me to gain weight. It was just complete defeat. So how does one go from that sense of, as, I mean, as you just said, but they're in a position where potentially your heart could stop. How does then someone go from that to completely changing their life around to build in such an enormous platform and in and collaborating with all these phenomenal brands where where does the motivation where's the inspiration come from god on the spot now i don't know time time surrounding yourself with people that actually love care for you and you know removing yourself out of toxic relationships and you know environments and knowing what's right for you um but then literally just time and learning and being patient and i don't know it's when you know you saying that and just like I've, I've i've acknowledged that i almost died and now i'm you know doing what i'm doing it it is weird and it's only been three years since that time I was put in hospital for for the the time that I ended up having to stay, and a lot's gone on. And I think I'm a very stubborn person. In no, we were traits. I'm an all or nothing person. I was all or nothing with the eating disorder. I was like, right, I'm going all the way. I'm going to lose all the weight. Da 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 da. And I think on the opposing side, I'm all or nothing in the sense that I will be healthy. I am going to do well. I'm going to be a happy person. So I'll never half-ass anything. It's all the way I will achieve and I will be better and I will be able to take lessons from these experiences and I will be able to put them into a positive manner and a positive state and something that can be seen as encouraging and healthy. Um, and I think once I kind of had that gist of being able to use it as something positive and being able to kind of incorporate my very difficult and vulnerable times into something that can be seen as encouraging for other individuals, I was all in for that. So I put all my energy, all my heart into that. And then that's, you know, kind of allowed me to become the person who I am today, which is somebody that I'm actually pretty proud to be. In all of this, what was the recovery process like? Is it still an everyday thing? Um, 
so obviously the original recovery is just eat mm. um but then i was discharged i was still so so underweight but they kind of saw that i was in kind of a healthy routine my parents were on board and um you know they saw that i was okay that i'd kind of continue in a good way um and there isn't anything that i it, it was just eating but then with that is the gradual development of the mindset of being able to you know kind of rebuild a healthy relationship with food with your body with just overall life because you saw it in such a negative way prior um so there isn't necessarily anything specific but it's just gradual and it's just day by day uh you kind of develop and you learn and you grow into an individual that is living a life without an eating disorder and is living a life without having that being the main overriding overriding factor of you waking up in the morning um so it's just gradual and there isn't anything i do in particular now or you know after i was released to thinking that this is what i'm going to do to get healthy it was just about living life and it was just about being me being a teenager doing stuff riding horses playing piano singing probably in a horrific melody and taking photos it was just developing a new personality a new life for myself we get emails we get dms saying you know like how can i turn my life around i feel lost depressed hopeless my finances are in the get there it could be any number of these things and i'm really on the same sort of lines as you were i don't think that there's just one thing i think it's like a flywheel it's like it's like almost if you do a then you can't help but do b so like in your case but there i mean you get force-fed jaffa cakes and then it's like you cut almost... actually refuse, i had i had to change them to, to digestives digestives. but i had to have the chocolate on it because it's more calorie <laughs> so yeah so um but yeah it's like you fall in love with life again and then you almost can't help but change your outlook and then you almost can't help but start to impact others and then it's like you almost can't help but to do etc 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 i almost think it's like a fly domino effect yeah domino effect yeah and the other thing i'd I'd say as well is i'd like to ask you this is there's a saying in aa and it's the 12th step i believe and that is you can't keep what you don't give away and you've done this perfectly where you've shared so courageously your experiences your struggles everything which you've gone through and you've pushed that out it's obviously made an enormous impact as you said almost eight million youtube hits this phenomenal community which you've built so if someone is listening to this now and they are going through something similar would you advise them to share their story um most definitely but obviously you don't have to make a video <laughs> you don't have to make a youtube video it's sharing your story can be something as simple as you know, speaking to somebody close to you or speaking to somebody that's not even close to you at all, just having uh, the opportunity to vocalize your emotions and being able to categorize your emotions and feelings and, you know, current way of standing in life to somebody and just being able to relieve it off your chest is so powerful. It's so simple, but actually speaking and talking to somebody is just such a relief and just a weight off your shoulders. Um, So speak up, being able to, even if it's not to, you know, your parent, if it's somebody you work with, if it's literally anyone, just having an opportunity to vocalize anything to somebody can be so beneficial. 
Yesterday was World Mental Health Day, such an yeah. important day, such an important conversation to have. So I'd love to know right now if you have a low day, if you are struggling with self-image or any of these things, what does your process look like in terms of dealing with that? Uh, I go 50-50. Sometimes I just literally let it consume me and I let it take my day and I kick myself for it. But then if I'm actually dealing it in a way that I'd kind of advise other people to do so, it is going to the gym. It is taking the dogs out for a walk and going to visit my grandfather's bench in the most beautiful little local, uh, local um, area that we have. And, you know, taking, you know, music, listening to music and walking and just taking yourself out and breathing air and, you know, still taking it slow and still being able to kind of appreciate the fact that you're more in a delicate sense but not have to let it completely override your day because you just feel like you waste your day. And then the day after I'd feel almost a sense of guilt because I'm just like, why did I let that do? Why did I let, allow myself to, you know, allow those negative thoughts to kind of consume my day? Because realistically, if I just like got out of bed, if I put, you know, got some breakfast on, put a jumper on and walked out the house, put my headphones on and, you know, just did something, I know that would immediately make me feel better. And if I went to the gym or if I, went to my favorite independent coffee shop and read a book so it's just kind of being above it and being the stronger person and kind of being able to differentiate that yes there is that depressed side of you but there's also the other side of you so just allowing that other side of you to kind of bloom and not let you know the depression and the negative sense of stealth kind of override and over consume you and the other thing i would say my own experience is to be kind simple acts of kindness yeah mm. you know i you know just like talking to somebody mm. saying you know having a nice conversation with the barista or uh, smiling to the train conductor or having a conversation with a complete stranger on the train it, it's just so so vital and so effortless but so productive and so you know effective being able to take my dogs out and have conversations with other walkers. Granted, I have no idea what the name is, but you know what? I definitely know the name of the dog. I know Charlie. I know Luna. I know them all. No idea what the owner is called. And I'll say hi to the dog and I'll say hi to the you know owner and we'll have a nice conversation. That will be the highlight of my day because you communicated with somebody and you put a smile on their face. And it's so, so important that you're just understanding that we're all humans and being nice is such a simple kind of thing to do, but it's such a powerful thing also. Yeah, and also being kind to yourself. You know, this is something yeah, which I struggled true. with for for so, so long. You know, I was in a real success or failure type of mindset. This is something which I've learned is it's okay to have a bad day. It's yeah. okay. And the kinder you are to yourself, the faster in which you'll be able to get out of that funk. What can we do, not just as ourselves, um, but our audience, as a society, what can we do not just to be kinder to our own mental health, but to everyone around us? What can we do to be better friends, to be better spouses, better partners, just better to the stranger on the street? What What do you think we could do which would really aid in this time of mental health when it's so drastically needed? I think 
just acknowledging that besides your original perception of that individual, that they have a whole life story, that we all have something to us. We all have, you know, maybe something that wasn't that great that happened to us. And, you know, we all have our little wins and doing something for somebody may seem easy, but it may seem challenging and, you know, massive achievement to somebody else. It's just being able to acknowledge that everyone has their journeys, everyone has their aspects of life, their difficulties, the good times, their bad times. And we're all imperfect. We all have different ways of going about life and just accepting that and knowing that we're all different, but we're all together at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it comes back to that thing where people try to avoid this idea that they've suffered and this is going to tie everything up so nicely. People try to avoid this idea that they don't suffer and Instagram being the highlight reel that there is, but the reality is the suffering is what binds everyone together. It's what we all have in common and we should embrace more of that. So I will say I'll pay my gratitude to you that I think you're doing a phenomenal job on social media, on Instagram. I've been a big admirer of the work which you're doing. I checked out a few of your videos and I have to say I oh highly God. <laughs> I cringe at the movie. <laughs> That's great. I highly advise everyone else. It's such a fantastic and positive thing what you're doing. So you. I take my hat off to you, Lara. And I've just got a few more questions which will wrap up what has been a phenomenal interview. So my next question to you would be based on your life experiences, what we've talked about today, or it could just be something which you would like to issue. Do you have a challenge for us and for our audience, for our listeners, that we can do today? Message the person that you think is completely doing completely fine in life, that doesn't show any form of answer struggle, that thinks that it's smooth sailing, and just ask them if they're doing all right. Because all the time, it seems to be the people that are the least obvious culprits that sometimes can struggle the most. Or just in general, talk to somebody, send somebody a message. Because isn't it really lovely to get a text or to get a call from somebody that you haven't contacted in a while and just being able to have a, you know, it can either be a very meaningful conversation or just a conversation about your day and how, you know, positive that can be. You know, yesterday I called uh, my friend about his new business that he wants to start and it was a very good idea and I showed my support towards him and then he immediately says that you know he immediately feels better and just having a chat is so powerful so my challenge just communicate to somebody say you know whether that's a quick text or give them a call if you have a you know if you have a free five minutes it's such a powerful thing and it's just important to people to know that they're you know, we're all binded, we're all together. Sometimes, yeah, life can be lonely, but we'll always have somebody to reach out to. And that's something really important that we kind of had to, you know, continue using. I know that you are a reader. So what books have impacted your life? That's the thing. I don't actually read like self-help books or anything. I literally just read novels. Um, not a book that's necessarily impacted my life, but my favorite kind of series of books would always be Dan Brown. And I think reading his novels has just um, allowed me to appreciate just different things in different ways and being able to read something through that author's perspective. It just gives you a second kind of opinion. And um, so my favorite book in the whole entire world is Angels and Demons. And I literally went to Rome to follow the path of illumination that he sets in the book. 
And what had allowed me is, you know, if I went to Rome without reading that book, I'd just see it as it is. Yeah, pretty cool. But being able to go through that, it's just given me that appreciation. And I guess I took that along with me. It's just you appreciate everything, whether that's architect, uh, architect, whether that's architecture, whether that's, you know, an individual, whether that's just somebody in the journey. It's just being able to go that under that one layer and be able to really delve into it and really kind of think, you know, that's really cool. And there's so much development and growth that's gone towards it. And, you know, he goes so in depth with something, you can kind of attribute it to different aspects of life. And I find that really powerful. And I literally have a whole page in my diary where I've written out the books just because I, I really enjoy them because they just give you another perspective of if you just look a little bit closer and give yourself that time to appreciate something a little bit more, it becomes really, really cool. Are there any societal rules or societal norms that you love to break? I think going back to the one that I had already mentioned was eating disorders are just individuals that are underweight. Uh, eating disorders can be for anyone that's in any BMI, any weight, any gender, any gender. Yes, gender. I think I haven't mentioned that at all. Depression, anxiety, mental illnesses, eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia can be for any single gender, uh, any sexuality, any individual. And it's something that everyone suffers with. It isn't just, you know, yes, more than likely there is, I don't know percentages exactly, but I'm, it is probably likely that the majority of individuals who suffer the eating disorder happen to be female but guess what there are males too and we could be any age we could be any nationality we can be any within any life circumstance anyone can suffer an eating disorder and that can be whether they're skinny whether i hate that word skinny i don't even know why i used it they could be underweight whether they can be at a you know visually healthy weight or obese any anyone can have that kind of diagnosis and anyone and everyone deserves support and medical attention and treatment Let's imagine a scenario in which every person in the world was tuned into the same frequency hypothetically. Sorry, I just did water everywhere. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that was <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, got a little bit parched. Just so water all over my legs as well. <laughs> so... Don't need to bother with a shower tonight. <laughs> so so let's, let's imagine a scenario in which every person in the world was tuned in to the same frequency hypothetically and you Laura Rebecca could give a short but impactful message to every person on the planet what would Laura's message be so I kind of have a tagline and it's really short and it's really sweet but I think if you kind of think about it a lot harder and utilize it you can kind of see the strengths behind it so it's believe in your own strengths and keep smiling. Um, yeah, I'd say that. And it can kind of attribute to any situation in where any individual can interpretate it the way that they want to, you know, incorporate that into their life and just, you know, smile a bit more, be appreciative, but also kind of acknowledge that you are a strong human being and you're capable of anything you can put your mind to. I love that so much. So we can our audience connect with you, Lara? Um, so, Lara Becker on YouTube, and then my Instagram is Lara double underscore Rebecca. Uh, I think they're, they're the prior kind of, the main social, actually, no, I say the main, they are the only social media platforms I have. 
Um, yeah, and I do a lot of content that is resolved around mental health, but also not dwelling upon it, but just like incorporate it into my life. You know, a recent vlog that I did, I just said, you know, I was going to therapy and just trying to normalize the situation and seeing it as a positive thing. So it's not all doom and gloom, which I think people could kind of interpret it as. It's just kind of saying that, you know, it's okay not to be okay. And this is my life too. And, you know, it's just cataloging and documenting that I'd be through daily vlogs or just sit down videos with more informative style or just generally documenting a fun day where you know I had a good time and it was an experience I, I wanted to remember so yeah it's just a bit of everything wrapped up into one. Do you have any closing thoughts or any messages which you'd like to share? Just for anyone listening just understand that if you're going through something that's a little bit more testing and something that you feel has been completely overriding your life and something that makes you feel down and depressed and worthless and valueless know that it's never something that's going to stay and remain you can get to the worst possible possible life situations and go through the worst things and trust me i know and there are situations that i didn't think i'd end up coming out of um but with time it's actually at the end of my bbc interview i remember i said with time with patience and love you can achieve anything that you want to be and you can do anything and you can get out of anything that you can and just utilizing that inner strength that you may doubt um just utilizing that and doing something positive towards it and being able to live a life that you actually deserve to live on my interview but it's something along those lines <laughs> it's been such a pleasure having you on and i can't thank you enough for coming on the show thank you very much